This is a trigger warning as the following segment contains talk about residential schools and the tragedy that unfolded this past week in Kamloops, British Columbia. If this is not a conversation that you're comfortable hearing, please skip to the 5 minute and 20 second mark now. The news that the bodies of 215 Indigenous children were discovered in a mass grave on the grounds of a Kamloops residential school serves as a stark and horrible reminder of Canada's inescapable history of genocide towards our First Nations peoples. Countless lives and future generations have been stolen in the name of cruelty, and the unfortunate fact of the matter is that there's nothing we can do to truly give back what was stolen. There are, however, resources that exist to alleviate the suffering of indigenous peoples in this country and i feel that the least we can do in the wake of this tragedy is our best to contribute to that cause one of those resources is the indian residential school survivors society they're a bc-based organization that provide essential services to residential school survivors their families and those still dealing with intergenerational traumas they have likely never been needed more than they are now you can find the link down below and i encourage you to donate what you can spare we're not free until all of us are. This episode of Internal Budget will begin after 215 seconds of silence in honor of those that were stolen from us in this horrible act of genocide.
All right, everybody, welcome back. It's Internal Budget. It's Brandon Mackey, staff writer at Silver7Sends.com. You know me pretty well by this point, but I think you may know today's guest even better. He's a senior writer over The Athletic, covering the Ottawa Senators, formerly of TSN 1200. You may have heard him on the drive. He's kind of known as one of the nicest guys in Ottawa and often referred to as a local celebrity even. It's Mr. Ian Mendez. How are you doing, man? Thank hey. You. Brandon, thanks for having me. Always great to be on the podcast. And uh, yeah, listen, it's uh, it's uh, it's crazy to think that like this, the senator season's done. Like, and all I can think about, I don't know about you, is when when Montreal beat Toronto this week. Oh yeah, that happened. Oh yeah, <laughs> is what do you think would have happened if Ottawa had played Toronto in the first round? Like honestly, what do you think would have happened? So I, this is something I wanted to talk about. So. That that team that Toronto was in the first half of that series, definitely the Leafs win it. Like, definitely they do. But the way they imploded against a Montreal team that's worse than Ottawa, frankly, um, especially at the end of the season, like, uh, what is it? Like, is it is it mental with that team? Like, they're not poorly constructed. I mean, there are better teams out there, but they're still pretty good even without Tavares. I mean, they should still beat that Toronto team without Tavares, or Montreal team without Tavares, so... Uh, yeah, I think Ottawa wins it in seven games. I really do. Because I just, at this point, I don't think this Toronto team is capable of winning in game seven. Like, what do you think? Oh, I know. And I guess it's funny because when, when Toronto was up 3-1 in that series, a lot of people were saying, this Habs team's pathetic. Ottawa would have given them a better run for their money. This is a joke. And then the Habs, you got to give them full credit. They won three straight sure. games. But I, I think they... they I guess I wish I'm going to, that's going to be one of my big regrets is that Ottawa didn't somehow scrape into the playoffs. Cause can you imagine the chaos that would have ensued if the upstart, nothing to lose rebuilt Ottawa senators were the ones that knocked out Toronto, at least the Habs knocked them out. They got Carey price. Yeah. They got, you know, like you can, you can justify it as, Hey, we a better goalie beat us. Ottawa beats you. Oh man. I would have been there. I would have been there for that. Just to <laughs> see the, uh, just to see the reaction. Well, it, it's just such a mess. Like, if Ottawa makes it and they play that Toronto team and then they play Winnipeg, I think there's a better than none chance that Ottawa's going to a, a conference final in a year like this. And then they're going to get absolutely mollywopped by Colorado or Vegas. But it, it, it's just insane to think about. And that was one of the first things I actually wanted to ask you is if, you know, since you and I are both closet Leafs fans, apparently. That's right. What, what do you do if you're that team? Like, if you're Kyle Dubas and you still have your job, like, you've got to be just pulling your hair out because you're like, I've, what more do I need to add? Right. So, so what direction does this team take in the offseason, do you think? I don't know. But first of all, I want to go back to that. What's that word you just dropped in there? Mollywop? Mollywop. That's one of my favorite words. What is that? I don't know that I've ever heard that. It just means like getting smacked. Like it's it's oh. one of my it's one of my favorite terms. I mean, I used to hear it in football all the time whenever a guy took a big hit or something like that. Like, I don't know. I love that word, but yeah. <laughs> I, I've never heard it before. I was like, really I'm fascinated by it. Yeah. Man. Well, it's usually you teaching me something, so I'm glad. Yeah, we can I, I, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So listen to, to what what Toronto does. I I don't know. Like, like I've seen all the people saying time to get rid of Mitch Marner. Right? You can't win with Mitch Marner. But I don't know. Like I think he's a pretty good player. Like, would you trade Mitch Marner for Seth Jones? Oof. Maybe uh, if you if you could get Jones, maybe. But I like me personally, I wouldn't do that. And I think. It's, it's tough to do because we live in the hot takery world, right? Yeah. We live in the world of instant analysis, instant opinion. 
And as the dust settles here, you're like, they're never going to win. You're not going to win with Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, uh, you know, that William Nylander, Morgan Riley. You're not going to do it. And that's the, that's the analysis today. Um, the reality of it is it took the Washington Capitals nine, nine years, I think, nine mm-hmm. tries with, in the Alex Ovechkin, Nick Backstrom era to win. Yeah. And for years, they were dogged with, can you win with Ovechkin? Well, the answer is yes. You can virtually win with anybody in this league. And um, maybe the window, maybe their window is three years from now or four years from now. And mm-hmm. I, I would be hesitant to blow it up only because, heck, look at even Tampa in the last few years. Tampa Bay in the, in the uh, I'll call it the Stamkos headman era, mm-hmm. they've been a pretty good team, right? And they didn't win a cup till last year. What happened to them the year before? They got swept out by Columbus. And everyone was saying, you're not going to win with Kucherov. You're not going to win with Vasilevsky. You're not going to win with uh, Hedman. And then guess what? All of a sudden you win. You're like, oh, yeah, you can, you can win with these guys. So, I mean, if I was in, in, in Dubas's shoes, I, I wouldn't do too, too much. But I think it, what this does, Brandon, I think it scales back the expectations for this group next year. I don't think we're going to be talking about them in the same breath as we do Tampa, Boston, Colorado, Vegas, whoever else you want to put in there, Carolina. They're going to be in that next tier. And I think that there's going to be a big change here in the expectations. Look, all the other years that they got knocked out of the playoffs, lose to Boston, you could argue they lost to a better team. Lose to Columbus last year, you can pass that off as restarted season in the bubble lose to Montreal this year when you had the easiest path to the final four, there's no explaining this one away. No, there's nothing. And I mean, to the point about trading Marner, I like Steve Dangle on his LFR actually last night had a really good point and which is a a good watch. If you're a sense fan looking for a little bit of schadenfreude, but uh, he was saying that Marner contract now uh, with the way he's played in two playoffs, I think it's 18 games. He hasn't scored a postseason goal now. It's ridiculous for a guy who's making just a hair shy of $11 million a year. Um, that contract now with the cap, not going up for another four or five, maybe six years. Uh, does it make sense to keep him on that deal? Uh, you know, you, he, you know, he can perform in the regular season, but but he just can't put it together in the playoffs. I mean, I, I hate making these assertions because I'm not, there i'm not on the ice i'm not even in the arena but i saw a guy in marner who looked rattled to me like he looked like he was just completely gone um so i don't know like do you maybe entertain trading that guy in that sense like you don't blow it up you have a guy that won the rocket and matthews you have nylander you have riley's a good defenseman for all the for all the uh complaining about him tj brody's been a great ad maybe you finally got a goaltender in campbell but what do you do with this guy who's making $10 $10 million a year and just can't seem to play when it matters. Well, and I thought it was interesting too. I saw that yesterday, Carey Price winning that, or the Habs winning that series, Carey Price becomes the first player in the cap era to have a $10 million cap hit and win a playoff series. Yeah. Right? And so, and the Leafs have multiple guys in, in that boat, right? They got their money tied up in Matthews, Tavares and Marner. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's a tough one. Like, look, we lived it at like in a weird way. I think Ottawa fans should be, I don't think sympathetic's the right word because you're not gonna get sympathy. <laughs> won't get sympathy. But I think there might be a, a level of understanding. Um, go back to the Ottawa teams of the early 2000s that just mm-hmm. there were times that you would walk away, they lose in the playoffs in Toronto, and you're like, this group doesn't have it. 
they're never going to get, you're never going to win with Alfie and Redden and Fisher and Spezza. And then they did, right? They, they got to the final. But the difference is at least Ottawa was winning the odd playoff series back then, mm-hmm. right? Like 02, they got to the second round. Uh, 03, they got to the third round. You know, 06, even they got to the second round. Like they were winning series they couldn't get. This Toronto team can't even win a series. And yeah. that, boy, that's going to be a red flag. And now as I look at next year in that division, I think Florida is a pretty good team. I think Tampa is a really good team. I think Boston is proving that they're going to be a, probably a force to be reckoned with. There's three really good teams right there. And maybe it's time to take the Toronto Maple Leafs out of that, that realm of saying that they're an upper echelon team. Maybe they are in the regular season, but they're certainly not in the postseason. Yeah. I think you have to, um, to your point about occasionally winning a series, you talked about Washington, they were winning series, even the sharks team that never quite got it done for as much as they underperformed, they would win one every now and then even Ottawa, like they fall ass backwards into a couple series wins and a conference final a few years ago. Like, it just it happens to these teams like they at least find a way to steal one and the Leafs just haven't been able to do that and you know to their credit I think Matthews played really well through the whole series I think he got goalied by Carey Price I mean he generated 34 shots in seven games the next closest guy was I think Hyman with 25 um, and Nylander was scoring like it, it just sometimes doesn't go your way but at what point do you have to kind of just say look we got to take this in at least somewhat of a different direction but I mean for you it had to have been a weird season and I mean on top of all this on top of Montreal coming back to beat the Leafs uh, you transitioned from TSN radio to the athletic you talked for a while about wanting to do more writing and now you're a full-time writer so what was it like to take that leap in a year where you had very little in the way of access to players and staff and just you know the very people you're supposed to be covering yeah none like we had no access really outside of the daily zoom calls it was uh really hard to uh you know i think for to to kind of allow people to peek behind the curtain one of the best things about having access inside a a locker room is sometimes you just sit down and talk to a guy you don't have your recorder out you don't have a notepad out you're just chatting yeah and that was gone and the ability to just sit there and shoot the breeze with a player, ask them what they're up to, family, whatever, that's gone. So it was a very stunted, like, I don't know even what the word, it was stunted or or stale or like about five, six weeks into it, I think most of us were like, man, these Zoom calls are, are, are," and it's no different than people who are distance learning or doing uh, staff meetings. It, listen, it, it was fine at the beginning. We just want to get back to in person. So it was it was a really big challenge. And I think the biggest challenge for me with The Athletic is you have to create content that's different than what is being generated, um, you know, by the guys at Post Media, by, you know, Wayne Scanlon at Sportsnet, by, you know, whoever else you want to throw into the mix that kind of is a regular writer around this team, the, uh, the guy, Sylvain Saint-Laurent and, and Marc uh, Brichard at Ledois. Uh, they're all such talented writers. And you're also, when I say you, me, I'm behind a paywall. So I better have something that is different and unique and not, you can't find it at sportsnet.ca or tsn.ca because people are going to say like, well, what's the point, right? So it, it was a real challenge, I thought, uh, in a good way. Uh, to try and find my voice as a writer and and create some unique content that uh, fans would say, okay, you know what, this guy's worth 
the $4 a month or two, it depends on, you know, some people got in for a dollar a month. Some people get for $4 a month, but that's your money. And that there's a real responsibility there. I, I feel really guilty. Sometimes uh, like if I take a day off or two off, I'm like, man, people are paying for this. They're not, they're not paying for me to sit around and uh, you know, not, not create content for them. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. And, uh, but you know, it's got to be doubly challenging because you're not just creating the written content. You're doing the podcast too, uh, the athletic hockey show with Haley Salvian, who's a friend of the show, obviously, and Sean McAdoo. So that kind of genesis of the writing and the audio medium, that can't be easy, right? Like, especially like you said, when you're already having to do so much in the way of content in a year where content has been, ironically enough, hard to find. Uh, has that been hard to balance the two? No, not at all. And I, and I think the biggest reason why is when I when I joined The Athletic, they said to me, look, one of the reasons why we're bringing on board, we want to launch this podcast. And we need somebody with your kind of broadcasting uh, experience. You, you, We think you'd be a good fit. And then we'll fold the writing in. And so when they told me that they were going to be launching a very regular, and now we're up to four days a week on, on The Athletic Hockey Show. Yeah, I, basically I, back I, on the radio. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I thought I would be doing four or five days and they're like listen we'd like you to do two days and not only two days the show will be about an hour and i'm thinking man i just did i was doing t- consistently 20 to 25 hours a week on radio during uh senator season on tsn 1200 so now you're telling me i gotta do two hours of content versus 20 okay like i'll <laughs> i'll certainly do that and and so it's been a good balance i think if i didn't have the podcast I would re- like, I really miss, I hope people understand how much, how much I miss radio and how much I miss it. I loved it. I loved every minute when that red light went on, I tried to have fun. I tried to be engaging, open-minded, uh, honest, opinionated, all the things that you want to try to do. I loved it. And to have that taken away was tough, but it was like, it was just the right time for, for me to do it. So it, it's been good. Like, let me put it this way. Like my previous job with TSN 1200, I was probably doing 90% of my job was on the radio. 10% was being a writer. And now it's flipped completely. Now I'm like 90% a writer. 10% is, is putting together a kind of an audio podcast. So it's been a, a welcome change. Um, and, and, and I absolutely, I love the fact that I can still kind of have a radio presence there. Does it help to have kind of have Sean and Haley to bounce off of too? Like, do you find that lightens your load a little bit? Oh, for sure. And I think what helps too um, is, you know, I've known Sean, him and I went to journalism school together. I mean, we've known each other 26, 27 years. So, uh, you know, we were teenagers when we met. Uh, So, you know, him, I've known all my life, very easy to do. Haley, I've had the opportunity to get to know her in her season and a bit covering Ottawa and, just one of the brightest young uh, people in our industry. Like just, I, I put her and Kyle Bukoskis at the top of my list of kind of young people in the industry that I love the fact that they're able to marry talent with humility. It's mm-hmm. a very hard thing to do, especially when you're a young person. I've, I've seen so many young people come in and they're smarter than you and they oh. know everything. And these two are, are uh, sponges They'll ask you questions. They bounce things off you and they're so humble. And I, I just, I cheer for those two people in the industry more than probably more than most people because they're just, they're great. So I love working, getting the opportunity to work with Haley. And I, and, and I joke that I, I, I kicked her out of the job here and, <laughs> and she ended up in, in Calgary. Uh, and I think she does. I think if you got her 
truthfully, I think she misses Ottawa. I think she does. Yeah. I, I, maybe not the city so much as the fans. I think she loved the fan base here. I think, I think the fans in Ottawa got her too. Like, I think mm-hmm. they understood her. She's different than the rest of us in a good way. And I think that's what the Ottawa media has been lacking for a number of years. It's like, it's like, man, it's Mendez and, and the same cast of characters covering my team for like 20 years. And then here comes, you know, Haley with her Elmo on fire gifts and baby Yoda <laughs> stuff. And it's like, this is good. This is what, yeah. this, is, this is what we need. And that's why I say Kyle Bukowski is same thing. You, you get a younger voice in there. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It, it's the personality too, right? That we're seeing kind of in this new wave of younger media members coming in. Like, like you mentioned, Haley and Kyle, who have both been on the show and Sean McKenzie's another one I'd throw in there. That dude's yep. hilarious. And he's really good at what he does. So I think it's great. Um, I think the industry is in a good spot in that sense, in what has been a difficult year for it. But I think everybody's tuning in to kind of hear you give your thoughts on the Ottawa Senators and the season uh, as it sort of turned out. Um, the number one question that I really want to ask you is we saw that start at the beginning of the year and my God, I, I, I couldn't imagine two weeks into a season after having not seen a Senators game for what, 300 days, I want to turn it off because it's like, it's just painful to watch. Uh, but then they have this turnaround where they're one of the hottest teams in the league at the end of the year and they're beating the Leafs and they're beating Montreal and they're not quite beating Edmonton, but they're almost beating Edmonton. Uh, so in your mind, what kind of engineered that turnaround for this team? And, you know, it's, it's tough because I think the simple answer is the one that people don't like and it's goaltending. And I hate to, I hate to boil things down to such a simplistic way, but sometimes goaltending is the great equalizer. And I think, and it started, we got to give some credit to Joey Decord because he was the guy that came in and started it a little bit. For sure. Decord was dynamite and then he got hurt. Uh, you know, Foisberg was really good. Murray, when he came back, was actually better. Mm-hmm. And then the Gustafson was was money. And you, you look at the last... Uh, I don't have the numbers or whatever in front of me, but like, I think if you look at kind of from like the 15th of March or 20th of March to the end of the season and you, and you put it up against the first half of the season, it's night and day. And they had a top uh, 10 or 12 save percentage in the last six weeks of the league uh, uh, top 10 or 12 uh, goals against average. And that's the big thing, right? Like you, you were able to do that. Now, some people will tell you, and I, I don't necessarily disagree, but some people will say, well, it's, they got rid of the older guys, right? Coburn wasn't playing as much and Paquette was out the door. Good uh, Branson wasn't playing as much and like all these things. And, and I'm not discounting that. I think that certainly played a part, but if you're asking me the singular reason why this team looked like they had some hope, it was goaltending. And it, it just, it shows you that, they can ill afford next year, uh, Brandon, to, to come out and have that same kind of start where they're like, you know, three, let's say they're three, eight and three after 14 games. And they're like, we can't have that. And, mm-hmm. and I think the one, the one guy that I'm looking at is Matt Murray, because we came into this season with questions about Matt Murray's consistency and his durability. Well, what are the two questions we have about Matt Murray going into training camp? consistency and durability so Mm -hmm. i don't think we actually answered any questions about him no during this season and it's going to be interesting to see at what point if it's gustafson if it's forsberg if it's the heck it might be Sogard. if somebody outplays him by like halloween or you know american thanksgiving whatever do they wrestle away the number one job 
Maybe. I think it's it's worth the it's it's worth thinking about. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, maybe he stays in that spot just because of that contract. But if you're the Senators next year and you're looking to start pushing for a playoff spot, like you really can't afford a, a kind of uh, a kind of honorary starter position like that. But I, I mean, the goaltending thing is really interesting because I totally agree. I think that was the one thing that really engineered the turnaround. Murray was horrible. Holmberg couldn't start, stop a beach ball at the beginning of the year. Like it was just you know, it was just nothing was going right. And not to say the team was playing great in front of them, but it was the young guys that engineered this turnaround. And there's been speculation about the Seattle expansion draft coming up. And if Seattle's maybe going to look at a young goaltender from Ottawa, I I don't see it. I I don't see why they need to just because there are better goaltending options out there. Um, If you're going to quote unquote waste picks on a goaltender, you can get more proven options than Joey Decord and Philip Gustafson. Uh, do you think differently on that? Do you see any danger of those guys being taken? And if so, is there one that Ottawa could maybe afford to lose more than the other? Well, you know what's funny is that I tend to think Ottawa's got some depth at the goaltending position in terms of prospects, right? Mm-hmm. So guard. When, when have we ever said that, right? Like, not to cut you off, but like ever yeah. in my okay. time being a fan anyway. Like, it's ridiculous. Right. But here's the funny thing you think that, I think that. And I, I, I picked the brains of a couple of uh, scouting experts, including our own uh, Corey Pronman, who does stuff for The Athletic, mm. uh, Chris Peters, who writes uh, his, own, uh, his own site now, uh, Hockey Sense. Yeah, he's great. And he's great. And I asked them, uh, look, because uh, I've got to do something after we know when Ottawa picks in the draft lottery, right? Like if they're picking 10th, like who could they pick? What are you looking for? And I said, what do you guys think is the biggest organizational need for the Senators? You know what Pronman and Peters both said? Goaltending. And I was like, what? <laughs> really? And, and they're like, listen, they got a bunch of guys that project to be really good backups. They don't have their goalie of the future. That's what they said. And I thought, okay, it's interesting because I think guys like you and guys like me are so, I don't want to say that we're so in into the Ottawa Senators that we don't quite understand but but we're now getting an outside objective opinion right like i think we're so into the senators like sometimes we don't it's hard for us sometimes to get perspective so when when two independent scouting experts look at the senators and say yeah that team could use a goalie i'm like oh that's really interesting uh scott wheeler by the way who i also picked his brain for the story scott wheeler's like this team needs high-end offensive skill that's what they need so mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that, you know, you talk to some different people, you get some different results. Anyway, this is a long way to go back, uh, to circle back to your original question about uh, if they lose a goalie. I, I think they can afford to lose one, like uh, only because I think you've got Mad Sogard. And look, look, all of the guys, even Forsberg and Matt Murray are in their 20s. So yeah. that's okay. Uh, you got the uh, Marilinen kid. You've got Sogard, you've got uh, Mandalese. Like you've got, I guess what, what, the, what the prospect guys were telling me, they got quantity. They're not sure about the quality. But I don't, I'm okay with them losing one of those goalies. I'd, I'd protect Gustafson. If you're asking me who I'd protect right now, I'd, I'd protect Gustafson. Yeah. I think he showed enough to me down the stretch uh, that I'd, I'd keep him. I'd be worried about losing him. The guy that I keep circling back and thinking – I, th- I could see Seattle taking him as Chris Tierney. Yeah. I mean, is that maybe an effect of 
who else are they going to take from Ottawa? Like they're going to protect all their young guys. Uh, I'm assuming they're going to protect a guy in Evgeny Dadnov who has, you know, for having something of a down season, he is a huge bounce back candidate and his underlying metrics this year were really good. Uh, there seems to be a lot of vitriol directed towards Chris Tierney lately on the Twitter sphere. And maybe that's somewhat unfair, but he's just a guy that hasn't really carved out a role for himself. I don't think so. Um, do you think Seattle is actually interested in a guy like that? Like they want him on their team or is it like, this is our kind of best option available. Let's see if we can maybe turn this guy into a middle six center. Yeah. I think, you know, when I was talking to Ryan Clark, who's our Seattle uh, beat reporter for the Kraken with the athletic, one of the things he told me about Tierney is the Kraken are probably going to try and take three or four or five guys, Brandon, who are expiring UFA, like get guys that are in the last year of their deal, give them some opportunity to play. Like you said, middle six, maybe he's your second center, third center, and then flip them out at the deadline. Like, could you get a third round pick for Chris Tierney as a rental? Could you get a prospect for Chris Tierney? Like if, if Chris Tierney comes in and plays well for the Kraken, he's still, he's only what? He'll be 27 years old. 500 plus games in the NHL. I don't know, decent resume. Yeah, he's been um, to a Stanley Cup final, right? Like, been to a Cup final with the Sharks. He just, you know, I think if you got Chris Tierney alone and asked him about his season, I think he'd be, I think he'd admit he had a bad year, but I think he would also be really disappointed in some of his deployment. I think he, I think. Tierney probably felt like, man, how come I didn't get any power play? He got no power play time. You'd have to double check this. I feel like he played fewer than 10 minutes on the power play all season. You're probably right. Now that all I think season. of it. Yeah. And, you know, I think he probably looks at this and like, you know, they, they pick up Michael Amadio and Amadio's on the power play. And Tierney's like, well, what about me? Right. And, and different guys were getting power play time. So uh, I just, I, I think he, I think he's going to be a guy that is going to be exposed. I could see Seattle taking him. I, I tend to agree with you that Dadnov will be protected. But if, if you were Seattle, let me flip this around and ask you. If Dadnov was sitting there, he's got two more years left at $5 million per in the cap hit, would you take a run at uh, Evgeny Dadnov? Yeah, no hesitation. Seattle? Me. Yeah, I mean, the, the way I look at it is this. Uh, like $5 million over two years, that's not an insane cap hit, especially for a younger expansion team coming in. Uh, but I actually was interested in looking back at this. So um, I've been in the kind of Dadnov apologist camp all year. Uh, I mean, I think he's had some seriously rotten luck. Uh, and I went and looked back at his kind of advanced metrics, his analytics, and uh, hockeyviz.com, which is an amazing resource. If you look at his isolated impact, it's – damn close to what he did last year in Florida when he put up a lot of points. Um, like the trend has been consistent. There's not a real sign of regression. Uh, he had some horrible shooting luck this year, especially on the power play. Uh, and I think some of that might be just familiarity with a new team. It might be going from playing with Sasha Barkov to, you know, like who was his center? Was it, it was tyranny a lot of the time, you know? So uh, if I'm Seattle, yeah, I'm taking a swing at him for sure. Like that to me makes him a major bounce back candidate, which is why I would say Ottawa should protect him. Yeah, I think they played a little bit with Colin White, too. He was all over the place, yeah. man. Like he was playing with yeah. Stutzla, and then he was playing with Amadio and uh, Anisimov. Like, he he had like he must have had the most line mates of anybody this year. Yeah, like, I feel like, the, like that was one of DJ Smith's biggest headaches this year was finding a spot for Evgeny Dadnov. And it never found, like, I think it became clear at the end of the year, Connor Brown leapfrogged him. 
Oh, and yeah. I think now, I think in an ideal world, last season, Evgeny Dadnov was brought in to be their number one right winger in mm-hmm. all in all likelihood, right? Absolutely. Batherson passed him and Connor Brown passed him. So now you're a third line right winger to open up the season and you're making that type of um, that type of money. That's a lot of money to make. Like Ottawa's third line next season could have Colin White and Evgeny Dadnov. And yeah. they're kind of making second line money, but in a third line spot, right? Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. And I'm glad you brought up White because that's another thing I wanted to ask you uh, I mean, again, a guy who had some rotten luck this year, had an injury, um, still played pretty well when he was healthy, I would say. Uh, There have been some people who kind of are willing to part ways with Colin White and think maybe he's making a bit too much money and that perhaps Ottawa could get something for him. Uh, Do you kind of fall into that camp? Like, do you think maybe they take a look at trading Colin White this summer? Because I mean, I don't know, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but the way I see it, you've got Norris, who's proven he's, you know, he's a player. Um, You've got Shane Pinto, who only a handful of games, he's still pretty raw for as well as he played. Uh, And then you've kind of got some wiggle room from there. Um, There's been rumors they want to add a center, but is White a guy that maybe you look at uh, trading this summer, maybe to Seattle? Like, who knows? The only thing I... I I don't know what are you going to get in return. You're getting That's a guy, it, right? What's his cap at? Four point seven five, I think it is. I think you nailed it. Yeah, and it's four more years, right? Yeah. So there's not based on the productivity, based on what you've seen. It's almost if you're getting rid of him now, it's a salary dump. Mm-hmm. It's not hey, a hockey. I don't see it being a hockey trade. I don't. I unless there's another player somebody can suggest to me that makes around four to five million. Same boat, same age that just needs to change the scenery. Yeah, you could probably sell me on that. Here's what I would do with Colin White. I'd bring him back next year and I'd give him one shot. And I would probably put him, like I said, on that third line, Dadnov and Paul or what, whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. And he's still young enough where if next year you're not happy, you can do the one third buyout. No, that's true. Yeah. I, I almost think it's you would be better off giving it a go for another year. And if it doesn't work out, the one third buyout means if I'm not mistaken, this is, and these are ballpark numbers. You would owe him $5 million instead of 15 million. And you would pay that out over whatever, six years. Like it's a small price to pay. So ask yourself, would you rather get nothing in return for Colin white right now or gamble on him? And if you don't, it doesn't work out. You're paying him 5 million total. Mm-hmm. spread out over whatever it is six i think it's six years yeah so i would probably tend to go that way i just you know i don't know what his offensive ceiling is i don't even know what his defensive ceiling is i i think the contract is tough for him because with the contract comes expectations the expectations are with that money to me you should be a 45 to 55 point consistent player in the league mm-hmm. and i'm very reluctant to call him that at this stage of the game yeah and he was in that kind of points range when he signed that extension which you know you can probably attribute a lot of that to the impact of mark stone but i think as a third line guy you could do a lot worse uh, you mentioned a, a shutdown line of him and nick paul and i would throw connor brown there instead of dadnov and i think you've got yourself a really good third checking line there but i mean 
the elephant in the room for this Senators offseason, it's not Colin White, it's not the expansion draft, it's not Evgeny Dadenov, it's Brady Kachuk's extension. Uh, and I know you're probably going to have a column or two coming about coming out about that very soon. Um, but for someone who kind of has their, their ear to the ground and who has been here before, how do you see this shaking down? Because it is such, if it's any other organization, like there's nothing to worry about here. Um, you know, Brady Kachuk's getting signed. You know, he's probably going to have some term on it and he's going to be the captain of the team. Uh, but with Eugene Melnick's recent comments about you don't want your captain on a bridge deal or you can't have your captain on a bridge deal, which I think is asinine. Like what, what are we looking at here, Ian? Like, like, are we looking at a long-term Brady Kachuk extension? Are we looking at a short-term extension? Is he going to be the captain? Like we need all kinds of answers here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, these are great questions. Right. And I think the fan base is ready to fall in love with this team again, but with a condition. And the condition is you bring Brady Kachuk back and bring him back on a deal that I would say, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, if they can ink Brady Kachuk to a minimum three-year deal, people will be happy. People will be yeah. happy. They're like, okay, all right. Three years of Brady Kachuk, let's go. Shorter than three years, if it's a, if, and I doubt it, but if somehow there's a one-year deal or a two-year deal, I think people would be like, I don't know, he seems tepid or whatever. Get him for three. Like, my best guess is a three-year deal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's partly a, 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 a function of the pandemic, a function of the flat cap, a function of um, maybe Kachuk wanting to not go eight years. It's all fine, right? Like, I wouldn't blame anyone for saying, okay, let's see how this goes. But I know that the elephant in the room is the offer sheet, right? That That's everybody's fear is could an offer sheet come in that's too rich for Ottawa to match? So I think there's a little bit, I won't say a ton, I think there's a little bit of urgency to get this deal done before the opening of the free agency period, which I want to say is the 29th of July. If I'm off by a day, I, I, think I could so. be wrong. I think so you're right. I think it's July 29th. Once you get to July 29th, I'll admit there's a little, the, the door opens. Right. But I don't want to be that guy, the boogeyman telling you, look out. To, Ottawa fans have been through enough. They don't need a guy who's covered their team for 20 years to say, look out, he's going somewhere else. You don't need that from me. What you need from me is some uh, solid, rational, uh, calming arguments to tell you that the last time that there was a successful offer sheet in the NHL where the guy changed teams was Dustin Penner in 2007. Yeah. It doesn't happen. I think since then we've had three offer sheets. One was the Ryan O'Reilly debacle between Calgary and Colorado. Yeah. One was uh, Sebastian Ajo with the Habs, which was yep. like a super tame offer sheet, which I don't understand what that was. And I think the other was Shea Weber to Philadelphia, which mm. Nashville ended up matching. That's it. So you're going to hear people saying, oh, Brady Kachuk. History tells us not to be worried about it. So don't, I, look, until there's an offer sheet on the table, don't worry about it. Don't like Ottawa fans, don't worry about it. What you should be worried about, though, is Ken and, and Batherson to me, too, is a fascinating contract. Do you go longer than three years on him? Are you comfortable? But you get those guys signed to three year deals at minimum. I think we're going to be in a good spot. But you got to get that done before September because yeah. 
you can't have it go into training camp. There's too much goodwill. There's too much positivity. And if they get to training camp and one of Kachuk or Batherson isn't at camp because of contractual reasons, it's not a good look. And, and I'm not talking about the player. I'm saying for the organization, they got to get this done. Yeah, I mean – there's, there's no doubt. I, if anybody's going to get offer sheeted, it's Brady Kachuk. And not to throw the doom and gloom like you said, uh, but I, I think it's an underutilized thing. I think NHL GM should do it more. I mean, I think those are the risks that you take for young players. But uh, I think Brady's value is probably at an all-time high. Um, but as far as the captaincy goes, I mean, let's just – like, this guy's the captain of the team. Like, it's undisputed. Like, last summer we were having conversations about Brady Kachuk, Thomas Shabbat. Like, it, like it has to be Brady now. So if he signs that three-year deal or two-year deal or whatever it is, and they don't give him the C, um, and they give it to Thomas Shabbat, who is a deserving candidate, uh, how do you see that playing out in Ottawa? Because I don't see fans taking that well. Well, listen, I, I said this in my column, and I'll reiterate it on, on your podcast. The captaincy, in my opinion, Brandon, is not something that needs to be or should ever be used as a negotiating tool Never in a contract. Um, that's not what it's there for. It's not a sweetener in a deal or, hey, take a half million off. Here's the captaincy. The captaincy is an authentic uh, gesture to identify the leader of your team. And you can't, there's no universe in which you can explain to me that Brady Kachuk's not the captain of that team, the leader of that team. Now, if he signs a three-year deal and they're like, sorry, man, you're, that's not long enough. Hey, go ahead. Make, make that decision. As I pointed out in my column, uh, Tampa Bay made Steven Stamkos their captain. At the time, he only had 19 months left on his deal. Mm-hmm. New York Islanders made Anders Lee a captain as he went into his final year before unrestricted free agency. I always think that's what Ottawa should have done with Mark Stone. Ottawa should have said to Mark Stone, you're the captain. And I think when you do that, it makes it harder for a guy to leave. And instead, I feel like Ottawa is like reverse engineering this thing. And they're like, you got to earn the captaincy and then you'll, then you know, you can you can stay for a long time, then you get the captaincy. Whereas I look at it the other way, where I think if you get the captaincy, you're more likely to stay for a longer time because you're invested and you're identified as a leader, and especially in a Canadian market. So I don't know. Like those comments to me were a little bit puzzling, to be mm. honest. The whole, I mean, the whole interview was puzzling, but that particular element it was a fever of it, dream. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, the the particular element of you can't have a captain on a bridge deal. Uh, Claude Giroux signed one on a bridge deal. Uh, I, I, like I said, Steven Stamkos did. Andres Lee did. You can do it. And yeah. I think it makes it more likely that the guy's going to stay. Mm-hmm. And those guys all turned out okay, I think. Yeah. Stamkos, Giroux, Lee. Uh, I wrote something similar. and I. But the way I kind of see it is it's a gesture of good faith to me. Like, if you're the Ottawa Senators and you're Eugene Melnick – you have no right to be asking anyone to be giving you the benefit of the doubt, especially if you're a star player after what's happened with this franchise the last few years. Like it's just, you, you just can't. So if you say, look, Brady, you only want to take three years. Fine. You're our captain. This is our commitment to you in three years. We're going to be coming back to this table and you're going to be getting your eight year, whatever deal, you know, like that to me is sort of like how it makes sense. And, and you're right. I think, I think, 
I think Brady's more inclined to extend the next time you come to the table. If that happens, you know, that's barring the wheels don't completely fall off over the next three years with this team and they become a disaster. But again, but, but, uh, but no, I, I think that expression, I think it's an expression of good faith. Um, like, do you, do you kind of agree? Do you kind of see it that way too, where Brady's like, okay, maybe they are committed to winning. Maybe they don't yeah. have as much to prove to me as I thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I think at the end of the day, what this boils down to is we've now hit the point in the rebuild, Brandon, where the rubber has hit the road, so to mm-hmm. speak. This is it. This is four years ago or three years ago when they blew this up, they're like, when the time is right, we'll keep this core. We'll keep them together. We'll take the run. Here we go. This is your, this is, this is test number one. Uh, you want to say that Thomas Shabbat was a test? Sure. Colin White was a test? Sure. This is the real test. Brady Kachuk. Can you get him done on a deal? Because Kachuk has a lot of the same elements as Mark Stone. There's a, and, and even I, I would put Alfie in this, in this boat too. They're natural, genuine, authentic human beings. And they resonate very seamlessly with the fan base. There's this inherent trust where I still say if they had signed Mark Stone, people would have said, if it's good enough for Mark Stone, it's good enough for me. Guaranteed. And I get that feeling with Brady Kachuk. If people say that the easiest way to boil this all down is this. If Brady Kachuk signs in Ottawa for a long-term deal, it is the best example that the dysfunction the turmoil, the toxicity, all the stuff that has been swirling around in the backdrop in Ottawa has evaporated to some extent. If he doesn't, we got to start asking some tough questions of why isn't this guy willing to sign on the dotted line in what seems to be a nice situation? Mm -hmm. You got to ask him and you have to ask ownership. I think, I think, you know, um, as again, not that ownership deserves the benefit of the doubt at all, but I, because at what point does things change, right? I, I think you're spot on. Um, before I let you go, Ian, uh, I do want to kind of get your thoughts on how this team projects next year. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, they're going into a very good Atlantic division. They're returning to what is going to be an excellent Atlantic division with the Lightning and the Bruins and even the Leafs. And, you know, like it's, it's going to be a really good division with the Panthers too. So, do you see this team maybe squeaking into a playoff spot next year? Or do you think they got their work cut out for them? I think they have their work cut out for them. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold. Look, I know they made those comments a couple of years ago, 2021 to 2025. Uh, <laughs> that's our window. I'm not even going to hold them to that. You know that no. I'm, I'm all I'm going to do is look at this realistically, realistically. And I think at best they're a playoff bubble team next year. And I'm okay. Look, you got to take another step forward. So they finished 23rd overall, I think. Yeah. Something like that this year. Yeah, 23rd overall. You got to finish somewhere for me between like 14 and 17, 18. Take that step forward. Move up five spots. My kind of parameters for success next year would be, A, don't be a seller at the deadline. Mm -hmm. If they could get to the trade deadline – and they're not a definitive seller, that's a good thing. So I'm not saying you got to be a playoff team. Just don't be a seller. Just stand pat. Maybe even you're a buyer. Don't be a seller. If you get to that point, then I think you've done something uh, that's pretty good. That's my only expectation for them. I I will not, at this stage of the game, put playoff expectations on them. However, if they do anything in the offseason 
that is aggressive, bold, in a kind of a win now, then I reserve the right to change my approach and say, you know what? They traded for this guy and they gave up this and this. They're going all in. So uh, at this stage of the game, I would say a really good expectation for this team, 82-game season. Let's call it 80, I don't know, 85 points, somewhere in that ballpark. Maybe you're on the fringe of the playoffs. It's going to be tough, though, with Toronto, Florida, Tampa, and Boston in the same division. Yeah, I, I would be inclined to agree. Really quick before we sign off, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Who's okay. winning the Stanley Cup, even though your bracket has kind of been busted? Florida Panthers in the Stanley Cup final. What are you doing? I did. But listen, <laughs> I did have – I want people to know my final four included the Winnipeg Jets. Okay. And the New York Islanders. And the, okay. Vegas, Gold, and the Vegas Golden Knights. So right now – yeah, I, look, I, I gambled on, on the Panthers and I lost. Um, my initial pick was the Vegas Golden Knights, and then you watch that game one. It's hard not to say Colorado right now, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're just steamrolling everybody. Look, I'll say this. I think the winner of Vegas, Colorado, wins the cup because, A, that's right now that's the best matchup in the game. But, B, they're going to get the winner of Montreal, Winnipeg. Yeah, which will be nice after a war of a series, right? Yeah, like- that, that's what I think, like – so I think that they've got an easier path to the cup. And as long as they don't you know, beat each other to a pulp, um, I like the winner of that series. I know that's probably a cop-out and an easy answer, but um, I guess I'll stick with Vegas because that's who I picked. But boy, it's hard not to look at Colorado and say that they are... Uh, what's that word you use? Mollywhacked? No. Mollywhopped. Mollywhopped, yeah. Yeah, they mollywhopped Vegas. Vegas. Got, <laughs> yeah, they got mollywhopped in game one. But uh, you know, we'll see, what, we'll see if they can bounce back and make this a series. Well, listen, I know you got to go. You got to do all kinds of media hits, you know, <laughs> local celebrity and all. Ian, it's been, right. it's been fantastic having you, my friend. Thank you so much for doing it. Brandon, my pleasure. Anytime for you. And uh, listen, hopefully we can actually see each other in person at some point down the road. I'm looking forward to it. Folks, thank you for listening. Make sure you like the podcast, share it with your friends, download, subscribe, rate five stars, all those fun things that go a long way. We'll see you next week for our episode, whatever it is now. Take care, everybody.